This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Set me free the chains me Is anybody out there hearing me? me Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, Proclaim liberty to captives and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here, and welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Glad to have you along. And let's jump right in. In his book, The Unsaved Christian, Dean and Sarah shares of the time immediately after he graduated seminary. A friend of Dean's was moving to Northern California to join a church while Dean was going to Tennessee to minister there. Knowing that California had been secularized, Dean wrote, Great, my friend is going on a mission, and I'm headed to the Bible Belt. While Dean shared this disappointment with his friend, his reply stunned Dean when he said, Whatever, the Bible Belt is the most difficult place in America to pastor a local church. Dean writes, I was stunned. He must have sensed my confusion because he explained further. As he did, I had a serious epiphany. I believe the Lord knew what I needed to hear in that moment, and it changed my perspective. Forever on my role as a pastor in that part of the country where I live and minister. In California, Matt said, there is rarely confusion. Either you're a Christian or you're not. In the Bible Belt, many people think they're Christians but have no concept of the severity of sin necessity of repentance, message of grace, or the overall message of the gospel. They think they're just fine with God and God is fine with them because they aren't atheists and have been to church before as a kid. It's almost like you have to help them get lost so they can actually be saved. They believe in God but do not believe their sin has done anything to separate them from him or cause them to need Jesus the Jesus they claim to believe in. I'm going to read one more quote from 120 years ago. This isn't a new phenomenon where Amy Carmichael, missionary to India from Ireland, wrote, I have told you how much we need your help for the work among the heathen, but often we feel we need it almost as much for the work among the Christians. Over and over again it is told, but still it is hardly understood that the Christians need to be converted the vast majority are not converted, that statistics may mislead and do not stand for eternity work. So today I have in studio with me a good friend of mine who has been a missionary in Central America, in Mexico, been to Uganda a dozen times. He's also been a senior pastor in Iowa and a church in Colorado Springs. So Wayne Gorenson, welcome to the program. Thank you, Mike. It's good to be here. So let's take a couple minutes and tell us a bit about your background. Well, um, I was raised in a pseudo-Christian family, uh, probably like the unsaved church. Uh, we were raised in a mainline denomination, uh, confirmed the whole nine yards, and then I just went the way of the world. In uh, 1989, my uh, wife came home and said, hey, um, I don't love you anymore and I want a divorce. 
And I was like, wow, that just shattered me. But it really got me on track to my spiritual journey. In 1976, I came to the Lord. Well, I, I went forward at a little four-square church called Highway Chapel, but did nothing about it. Just dove back in the world you know, head, headlong for 13 years. And long story short, um, the Lord brought four guys into my life. Uh, I was in construction, so he bought a, brought a painter. He brought a pump plumber, brought a drywaller, and a fellow project manager. And they all gave me the same message, you need Jesus. And it was not until one day I just finally, yeah, you know what? I I just don't know what to do. Um, my wife called me on Father's Day of 1989 and said, um, I think I want to move back home. And I was like, you think, what does that mean? She says, well, we could just try it out on weekends. I said, you know what, honey? It's got to be all or none because I don't, I, I just can't do some this part-time thing. And I remember hanging up the phone like it was yesterday and I said, you know, God, I don't know if I even love this woman anymore, but if you want this marriage to work, you're going to have to do it. And that was after three months of being separated. That's after three months of the Lord just bringing people to my life. That's after three months of listening to Christian radio and, and reading my Bible, reading Proverbs, you know, finding out in Proverbs right away that I was a fool because it said that <laughs> you're a fool if you don't fear God. I was like, wow, my, that's my problem in life. I don't fear God and I'm a fool. And uh, so that week uh, after she had called me, I, I prayed with this fellow project manager, received the Lord, and she moved back in and told me that she didn't want Jesus shoved down her throat, but it was good for me. And so we went to church, and um, she saw a difference in me. You know, I was, I'm a button pusher. I, I can really be a button pusher, like a lot of guys, you know, and— I guess, but uh, she uh, saw this peace about me. And so she came to Christ just through seeing God change my life in a, in a drastic way. And once we both committed headlong into being Christians, we, we purged our house of pornography. We purged, and I mean even soft porn, you know, like art and things like that, but everything, uh, books that were just demonic, uh, our liquor cabinet, you know, we've had hundreds of dollars of liquor in there. We just poured it out. And, uh, you know, before that, I was a pothead and, and did a lot of coke and stuff. We just went cold turkey on everything. God just just set us free. And after about six years, I really felt a call to go plant a church in, uh, in Iowa, where I'm from. So I went to the Bible Belt and uh, kind of came across the whole thing that you're talking about in, you know, the— the, the the Midwest, you know, there's so many good people going to hell, so many nice people going to hell because they're moral. You know, they're not decadent, you know, like this whole trans thing going on now and, um, you know, just the, the weirdness of our society and pedophilia is starting to become normalized. People in the Midwest, I mean, they're appalled by that stuff. And, you know, probably 80-some percent of the people go to church, oh. but they don't know Jesus. So when we were planting that church, we had multiple people say, well, why do you want to plant a church here? We have plenty of churches here. We don't need another church. Why don't you just come and join our church? <laughs> you know, but you know, we just had this conviction that, no, we needed to go and reach the, the least, the last, and the lost, and we needed to reach those people that were churched but not saved. And so um, our journey began. And in, in our little church, we, we, we stayed small because it was hard ground. 
But we had a lot of people that were ex-Catholic. We had a lot of people that came out of the Lutheran Church, the Methodist Church, Baptist Church, people that were raised, you know, Christian, quote-unquote, but not really following Christ, and um, had a great, great run at it, 13 years. And then the Lord called us into missions. And so we went into Central America. I taught inductive Bible study seminars uh, there in Central America. I went to pastors and teachers and church leaders and taught them how to study the Bible for themselves and how to study the Bible to teach and, ta- and taught them how to teach sermons. I uh, did the same thing in, in Uganda. And in Uganda, there's a saying that Christianity is miles wide but inches deep. Because everybody's a Christian in Uganda, just like in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of my my background, a lot of my years in ministry have been ministering to people in the church, ministering to what I call marginal Christians, uh, people that are backslidden. I mean, I, I think I have this sign over my head because I'd say, I don't know what percentage, but more than half the people I ever have shared my faith with uh, have been people that have come to me and, and asked me about my faith and because they were, quote-unquote, Christians, but, you know, were backslidden, you know, didn't understand it, were raised in the church, didn't understand it. And so I think it's um, it, it, it's like the quote from Amy Carmichael, it's been around forever. It's nothing nothing new, but I think we see more and more of it today because when you look at the church today, um, it's— it's amazing how, for Easter, they throw, you know, marshmallows and gummy bears or, or, or bunnies out of helicopters to attract people. And they have, you know, carnivals and things like that to attract people. And Christ has never preached. So I, I think today that we have even a bigger problem with so many people going to church to feel good, to check the box, but they're not saved. So I saw one statistic that said 50% of Americans identify as believers, but only 7% are carrying out biblical practices of reading their Bible and praying and doing the things that show the fruit of that commitment. So what's the big hole here? What is missing? (laughs) You know, I've often wondered that because— I think people get so busy with life and they get so preoccupied with with work and with family that they just don't make time for Jesus. They don't make time for their Bible. You know, they they listen to secular uh, music and radio and TV and instead of having a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, you know, they get inundated with the world, and they inundate themselves with the world, and and they're always, you know, putting more and more of the world in their lives. Case in point, I'm I'm a, one of those statistics. So two years ago, or three years ago now, I, uh, well, five years ago now, I went to Colorado to take over a church. But after two years, I realized that man, these people don't want to be taught. These people don't want to be, you know you know, dealt righteously with, you know, with the Word of God. And then COVID hit, and it was just really discouraging. So the the wind just got knocked out of my sail. And for the first year to six, six months to a year, I was like, man, I want nothing to do with the church. 
I love Jesus. I love the big C church, but I don't want to do anything with the little C church. And just walked away. And just, you know, my wife and I, we would pray. We'd read the Bible. But initially that was, you know, like every day. And then it was like three times a week. Then it was like one time time a week. And then it was like maybe two or three times a month, you know, for that first six-month period. And, And we went, man, what are we doing? You know, we've just become the people that we complain about, you know, the people that we, you know, know that, you know, they're, they're not in the Word because when you look at the life, their lifestyle, you look at things going on in their lives. And so for the last uh, three years, you know, well, I guess more likely you know, two years, we've just had this journey where we've really been trying to find our, our way back into uh, a solid Bible-believing church that, you know, not necessarily that's going to feed us because— I believe that, you know, I need to feed myself the Word of God. I need to be in prayer. I need to be, you know, you know, doing those. But it's like what you and I have talked about. You know, so much of the church today, it's like, okay, we're going to have a 20 minute of, of, of entertainment, and you're going to give you some money. You're going to listen to a 30-minute, maybe 45-minute, you know, sermon. And then, you know, we might do communion. We might have a couple more songs and goodbye. And that just doesn't fulfill me, you know. I, I, I really desire to be amongst um, the broken. You know, I really desire to be amongst those that are, well, that, that they know that, that they're no, they know they're they're in sin. They know that they're they're um, not perfect, but they want to know Jesus more. I feel more comfortable around those people than I do around some of the old pastors and people that I used to know and hang out with because there's so much Christianese and there's so much Christian platitudes, you know. know, People say, I'm praying for you. People say, praise the Lord. People say all the right things. But it's like, really, are are you really doing that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, and I'm not the judge, you know, because there's only one judge, amen? But, it's just it's just frustrating. You know, it's just frustrating when you go to a church and the teaching is terrible or the worship's terrible or no one talks. The worst thing is no one talks to you. I've been to multiple churches like here in the Valley and no one will talk to me. It's like, man, do I— Am I really that scary? <laughs> do, do I do I have uh, leprosy? You know, what, do I have the sinuses unclean over me or what? But just there's just not that that fellowship, and it, it's something that we're really still trying to find. <clears throat> yeah, the early church was devoted to teaching, fellowship, prayer, but what the survey shows is that in the modern church. Ninety percent of believers are isolated, so we've right. trained ourselves to go and sit and watch and go home. And what I see is that you don't hear topics like spiritual warfare or sex. And when you have a church where seventy percent of the flock are viewing pornography, like you said, you tossed out of your house. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of people who are in, in Dangerous positions. I mean, to the level of your bondage, you're in, you're, the level of bondage you're into that stuff. And but I like what you said about when you're soaking in the stuff of the world. I don't think we understand that when we try and have a mentality that I can have as much as the world and those I want, 
and the much as God as I want, it does not work. Yeah, it's a battle. It really is a battle. And, you know, when you're in full-time ministry, it's easier. It was easier just to to push that stuff aside because I was so busy. I was so busy doing Bible studies, uh, discipleship, uh, going on missions trips. And then all of a sudden when you have time and you're sitting around, you go, oh, let's see what's on TV. Or let's see what's on Netflix or whatever. You know, it's like we've we've gotten rid of uh, of some of the the things. You know, some of the different TV programming because of all the the sex and all the things that are on there. And it's like you, you go on and, and all of a sudden the f bomb is being dropped every other word. It's like okay, I can't handle this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but but I think if you allow yourself to to take all that in, and like you're saying, you know, it's okay. I can take in as much of the world as I want and then all of God and Jesus that I want. But in reality, what happens is, you know, the world wins because the world, um, by its nature, you know, Satan, you know, he's the, the prince of the power of the air. And he's he has dominion right now to do what he wants as long as God gives him a free hand, you know. But, you know, Satan's alive and well. And I think that's one thing that we forget as as Christians, you know, because I say we because I, um, you know, I'm, I'm I don't consider myself in full time ministry anymore. I have a small business that I run, and then in the process, in in the meantime, you know, I come across people, I pray for them, I share the gospel, and you know, things like that. But I think we now that we are not in full time ministry, it's just. It, it takes work and it takes a real devoted heart and it takes me praying, Lord, kill my flesh. Mm. Lord, would you just, you know, help me to realize, you know, how much you know, this hurts you and, and just asking God just to, to continue to, like I said, to kill my flesh. <clears throat> the other thing I think is message, messing, messing, missing <laughs> from church is a set, sense of the sacred. Yeah. A couple of years ago, we were in London. I went to the Metropolitan Tabernacle where Spurgeon preached. And we walked in and nobody was talking. Nobody was saying a word. And we're in the American church. Everybody kind of strolls in 10, 15 minutes late. And they got coffee cups and Starbucks. And you feel like you're at a social gathering. But at that church in London... It wasn't long before I started feeling the presence of God in that place. Wow. Because people were like, we're here to – this is serious business. This is not just a club. (laughs) Yeah. And it was was wonderful. Well, it's like, you know, the old 70s song, you know, Jesus is just all right with me. Is that the Doobie Brothers or someone Uh, like that? Yeah, I think you're right. (laughs) Yeah. I came from that generation too. Yeah. And and I think that's kind of the mentality of a lot of people. It's just that Jesus is just all right. You know, the, the thing that really is disconcerting to me today, um, just in the last couple of days, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, the, the, this new generation and reading statistics about this new generation, how many of them have walked away from the church. Mm. You know, kids that are raised in the church, you know, young adults who now call themselves atheists or agnostic at best. And it's a situation where I saw that as a pastor in Iowa, you know, people would come to me and they'd say, hey, Wayne, you know, my son just walked away from the Lord. You know, can you pray for him? And I said, yeah, sure, I can pray. And I'd pray, Lord, I pray that you make his life miserable. I pray that you do something so radical in his life that all he could do is just, you know, bow down to you and come to you. 
And and they said, wait, 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 wait. What do you? Why are you praying that? So well, because pain and absence of pain. That that's the way humans are made. You know, we it, most people come to Christ through pain, not through success, not through any other thing, but experiencing the pain, the reality of life. And I think too many people want to, to what you know, eat their cake and have it too. You know, they, they want to have their kids, you know, have everything, every opportunity, you know. Um, well, like, you know, with our grandkids, we're going through this right now where, you know, they're in club baseball and club volleyball and club uh, soccer. And, you know, my daughter and son-in-law and, and us, because we, we help, you know, finance that. But we're thinking, you know, it's really taken away a lot of time to to – Family activity is taking away a lot of time for for church, you know, going to church because so much of the stuff is on Sundays that we're really rethinking everything. But you know the the average American doesn't think about that. Not that we're better. You know, it's just that we were all of a sudden realizing that wow, we've just caused a chasm in our our relationship with our kids in Christ. Mm. You know, by you know almost like because you know, it used to bother me. It's like people making. Making kids sports their God, making kids sports their Sunday activity, making even their own sports, whether it be softball or whatever. But you know, it, we we have to make choices that really you know point our kids to Christ, and not just rely on the pastor, youth pastor. It's like that same report I think that you were talking about. I was reading that less than what was it. Less than thirty percent of all youth pastors have a worldview, a mm. biblical worldview, mm. something like that. But it's small, and so you know we're expecting our youth pastors to to help our kids along in Christ when they don't even really believe the Bible. They don't necessarily believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe in all the miracles. They don't believe that Jesus is coming back. You know, whatever. You know, it's you know we're we're throwing our responsibility over to other people. So, like, when I get together with my grandkids, we talk about the Lord. Yeah, my grandfather did that. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I got saved back in 1989, I was driving home from Anaheim, California, to Culver City, where we were living. And God had played this this whole thing in my brain. I could see, I could hear my grandfather, Logan Jensen, telling me all about the Lord. He was telling me stories, and I, it, was, it was weird, Mike. It was really weird. But I went, that's the kind of grandpa I want to be. So I, I try to to abide by that, mm-hmm. and you know if we do Sunday events, you know we we pray with the kids and we talk to them about the Lord on the way there, and you know and you know I wish we did more, you know, but honestly we don't. To me, this topic of unsaved Christians is critical because you don't want to wake up in eternity on the wrong side of it. You don't we don't want to create un- unsaved Christians through right. our kids. So to me, this is something that needs to be really punched it full force in a pulpit. So yeah. one minute left, Wayne. If you're talking to an unsaved Christian, what would you say? I lived my life without Jesus, and I put everything else first. But in order to really look at our lives, you know, we need to repent of our sin. You know, we, we need to— look at our lives in light of what the Bible says and be honest about it 
and we need to repent and turn from this world and turn to Jesus. And the only way that we can do that is to pray and ask God to help us through the power of his spirit because I can't do it on my own. My flesh is too strong. Even as a Christian of 30-some years, my flesh is still so strong, mm-hmm. and I have to pray, Lord, kill my flesh, and Holy Spirit, lead me in your ways. Amen. And I would add to that, and I think we're in agreement that we're, churches are supposed to be houses of prayer. That's, yep. that's where our power comes from, but the modern church is not a house of prayer. Yep. So to me, we got to be putting people on our knees Sunday morning, taking 15 to 20 minutes, and then, you know, going after eternity. Yep. And encouraging people to pray at home with their family. Amen. I just bless this meal. <laughs> well, Wayne, thank you. This has been great. Thank you, Mike. And thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.